0: There's a common thread in a lot of this, and that is what we've experienced here, the hospice workers. Death is a visitor which frightens us. Well, on Palm Sunday, wasn't called that at the time, Jesus enters Jerusalem. The people rejoice. They think they're getting a change of administration. They think they're getting a new government head, and that'll sort out all of their earthly problems. They're getting much more. They're getting someone to deal with death. But they didn't know that. They were expecting very little and excited about it. What if they had known? Well, God gave us a ceremony. It is the the oldest, longest-kept religious ceremony in the world. 3,500 years we have celebrated Passover. Somewhere, some place, back in a dark and distant time, in a place where all hope had been lost, and the slaves literally huddled in dark rooms in fear, God broke in, and he brought safety and life. He sent his angel to stalk the land, but that angel would also protect his people and set the stage for freedom. Their story was about to move in ways that none of them could have ever anticipated. You see, that's the same as when Jesus entered Jerusalem. It's the same as when Jesus enters our life. We cannot really anticipate where he's going to take us, but it's going to be good if we go with him. The story of the Passover is familiar to most of us who are raised in a church of some sort or the other, but like all good stories, it needs to be reviewed. It needs to be revisited from time to time, to set the stage for our own story. The Jews had gone to Egypt as honored guests. We often forget that part. They were received by a grateful king. The Pharaoh was so happy to have them because what Joseph had done for Egypt had literally saved them. Because of that, he wanted to show Joseph's family, his people, the Jews, respect and honor. So he installed them in the best part of the land, put them in the best homes, the best fields. But the devil was not going to leave things like this alone. The change of regime took place when invaders entered Egypt, overthrew the Pharaoh, and placed themselves on the throne. And these people had no reason to like the Jews because they they had not been saved by the Jews. And they looked upon the Jews as a threat. Here are these rich, numerous people in the best part of the land And they're strangers here, and we don't know them. So they went from honored guests to slaves faster than you could have ever imagined. They went from really privileged upper class people to being enslaved and brutalized, made less than citizens, less than people. The great evil that was slavery came upon them. And here's where we have to step aside for just a minute. God's timing is not our timing. I think we can all agree with that. The, the joke is that a person's praying, says, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. But we all know there's some truth to this. We, we want God not to be an 1159 God, a God that arrives in the nick of time. We want him to arrive much sooner, get much more done for us much more quickly. But God's timing is not our timing. When, when Moses was ready to act and lead his people out of slavery... He wanted to lead a violent revolution against Pharaoh, and God was not ready. The odd thing was, neither were the slaves. If you read world history, there's a long list of failed slave revolts because some slaves were ready and others were not. God wasn't ready yet. Neither were most of the slaves. It was 40 years later. Forty years after Moses had fled to the desert, found a new family, made a new family, enmeshed himself in a brand new culture, a brand new system, and then God came to him and said, I'm ready now. Have you ever thought of that? I and mean, How many of you have been here for 40 years? Some of you have lived your life here, but those of you that are incomers like myself, 40 years, you're really enmeshed in a culture, and then all of a sudden, God says, I'm ready to take you back now. Moses being faithful, he goes. Compressing the story somewhat now, faced with Pharaoh's stubbornness, God unleashed a series of strikes and plagues on Egypt. All of them were against the kings of Egypt, and we've looked at this in the past, but just to remind you, they worshiped the sun as a god, so he blotted it out. They worship the Nile as a god, so he turned it to blood. They worship cattle as gods, don't ask, so he put swords uh, swords all over them. They worship frogs, again, a frog-headed god named Hecate was the god of the midwives whose job it was to kill the Jewish babies. He says, you like frogs? I'll give you frogs. One after another, he struck down their gods right in front of them, a high noon on repeat, Until it came to the 10th, God warned Moses, this is going to be the worst one. This is going to be the one that causes the death of the firstborn, animal and human, all over the country. It'll be a strike against the nation as a nation, and against the nation as a religious state. No more will they feel safe thinking, we are headed by a God, Pharaoh, Pharaoh who is a God-man, and the God-king will save us forever. No, the God-king's house will not protect him on that day. And the system he set up to control his people will fail in one night. God was about to unleash the angel of death into the streets of Egypt. That, some ways, is justice. But when we cry out for justice, sometimes I think we ought to Be a little careful. Because mercy is what saves us. Perhaps we should be more interested in mercy than justice. But at times justice has to roll. And God's on the move. If the Jews wanted to be safe from the death angel. They had to take some precautions. They had to do what God told them to do. So, on the tenth day of the month. A young lamb. Lamb didn't have anything to do with this. Young lamb, without spot or blemish, was to be selected and then held until the 14th. Not selected and slaughtered. You had to get to know this one a bit. I can remember once, uh, we were not farmers, but we would visit farms and uh, I can... uh, There were several cattle out there. I was just a a wee boy. And And I'd said, oh, what are their names? And the farmer looked at me, he says, we don't name them. We eat them. Now, I didn't get it yet. And I was just thinking, well, why don't you name them until you eat them? And then he explained, when you name them, it's harder to eat them. Being a person that didn't mind eating, I, I still didn't have the problem with it. But evidently, that's, that's common. Bring it in and get to know it a bit. Then on the 14th, it will be killed in the evening. Exodus 13. Verses 4 through 6. Today, in the month of Aviv, you are leaving. What? You're leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hevites, Jebusites, the land he swore to your ancestors to give to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day hold a festival to the Lord. This is going to be a ceremony that is not going to be done once, going to be done annually for as long as the people live. The meaning would be revealed in time. They didn't understand the meaning of the bread. They didn't understand the meaning of the seven days, but that doesn't matter. You'll understand in time. As soon as the lamb is killed, its blood is to be sprinkled over the doorpost of the house the lamb was to be roasted and eaten hurriedly with their shoes on. Again, that was odd. You did not wear your shoes into a house, and you certainly did not eat with your shoes on. That was considered incredibly rude. In fact, in those cultures yet to this day, one of the worst things you can do is show the bottom of your foot to somebody else. If you're sitting in one of their homes, don't cross your feet, because that's, that's, cross your legs rather, that's a that's a that's a great insult. You take off your shoes. Do you remember the uh, two presidents ago? One person wanted to insult him, and so he threw a shoe. We look at that and go, "That's all you got." You know that was what was that a 45 caliber shoe? Uh, uh, but to them, that was all oh my. Take your put your shoes on. Why? You need to be ready to move. I've always been fascinated in Scripture by the movement, the journey motif. There's never a time where God says, stop there, never move again. This is all you're going. It's always get ready. I'll tell you, but we're going to move. Do you remember even the parable of the talents? When one man locked down his talents by burying them, and he was the one condemned. No, you need to keep them moving. You need to keep moving. Well, God's story, calling disciples, whatever it is, be ready to move. That night, only those who had the lamb's blood on the doorway and the lentils were ready to move and left untouched. The angel of death would not enter their home. That's so important. You get this. The next day, think of this, the next day, Everybody else wakes up in the land crying. Everybody else wakes up in the land stunned. Death has come to visit them out of nowhere. The Jews were to remain inside. And the next day was to be a feast day for them. They were to celebrate when the rest of the world was mourning because death did not come to them. This would be a feast. A feast that would last eight days in total. The Passover was a sign, a sign of what would come later through Jesus. Jesus was, in fact, called the Lamb, the Lamb of God. He, like the required Lamb, was without spot or blemish. He was slain for us so that death would no longer be a fearful thing. I've gotten to visit many places in the world, certainly not all the world and not all the places I'd like to visit, but... I've been to a lot of it, and seen different funeral um, traditions. One of my favorite comes from Appalachia. And some of those hollers and deep in those mountain valleys, when somebody dies, it's quite a deal. But one of the expressions I would hear frequently was, they beat us home. They beat us over Jordan. And that stuck with me, that concept of, what we think of as an ending, they think of as a win. Not only a win, but to beat us. They got home first. Just like the Passover lamb, no bone would be broken. The lamb was separated and chosen four days ahead. We got to know Jesus a bit as well, but here's an interesting thing. Jesus entered Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, four days before he was taken to be killed. Once again, There's a symbol to all of this. There's a timing to all of this. So, what I wanted to do was find a way to set up a table up here with all the right things on it and find the camera's angle to where you could see what a Passover seder mill looks like. But the problem is, the way we're laid out, you'd have to have a special camera and we'd have to have special, I don't know, roadies to move everything and, and set up a table and then set things. It was just going to be so. We live in the land of YouTube. You can find a Seder if you want to, to S E D E R, if you want one. But we're going to talk about what a Passover meal looks like today, 3,500 years after the first Passover. Remember the rules in Exodus 13 all yeast is to be removed from the house. So it begins with a thorough house cleaning by the hostess. Now, the reason I say hostess is it's not just the woman of the house. It's the woman whose house is going to be used for Passover. So you tend to come to your close family. You all gather there. And whoever the woman is of that house does a thorough cleaning. And then there's a ceremonial search for yeast by the man of the house. He uses a lighted candle to this day, a wooden spoon in case he needs to scoop something away, a feather in case he needs to brush some crumbs of yeast into a napkin. So he has a lighted candle, a wooden spoon, a feather, and a napkin. And it is all symbolic. He's a guy. He's not going to see a mess. He isn't. My wife's been away for almost a week. She'll be back in a few days. I've been keeping the house spotless as far as I can tell. (laughs) I know that when she enters, instead I used to think she's going to say, good job. I now know she's going to enter and go, (sighs) (laughs) and I shall step aside. And as the doctor asked Albert how he'd been married for 61 years, Albert, I have been married for almost 38, and I know when to shut up and do what I'm told. He will walk through. Now, the woman will actually hide some crumbs of yeast for him and help him find them. When he does, he will scoop them off into the napkin. The napkin is taken away and burned. Now, all of this is going on right now. And has been for thirty-five hundred years. The imagery is this, is referred to in First Corinthians five and verse seven, when the Bible says, "Get rid of the old yeast, so that you may be a new unleavened batch, as you really are." For Christ, our Passover Lamb has been sacrificed. Now, the imagery there—they would have gotten for most of us—that just kind of—we're not really sure what he's saying. Think of it this way. Those Americans among you that have studied American history, I don't know how much of this is true or not. I just know what I've read, right? The Conestoga wagons or whatever that are going west often started with too much. And as they made their way across the west, it became important to lighten the load. And I'm told that along the roads you would see an old iron stove, a piano, a chair. He's telling us, lighten your load. Be ready to move. Don't be rooted down in one spot. Be ready. Then the hostess, the woman of the house, lights the candles. And the hostess chants the first prayer, the first blessing of Passover, which I find wonderful. She says, Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe who sanctifies us by thy commandments and commands us to light the lights of Passover. And then the table is set. Some items and traditions were set by God 3,500 years ago. Others have been added in the ensuing millennia. Now, there is no temple, so there is no lamb. Instead, there's just the bone to remind you. A single bone. Represents the lamb and the loss of the temple. Because a bone's a bit of a disappointment. If you are expecting meat and you get a bone, well, they are looking for the temple, so it's just a bone. There are bitter herbs there to remind them of their captivity. Sometime during the Babylonian captivity, it became traditional to boil an egg and make it brown. This is a bit complicated. You almost have to be Semitic to get it. A boiled egg was a sign of life in two different ways. An egg is an obvious sign of life. And so we all understand that. Egg is fertility. Egg is life. But a boiled egg, you've got a few days to eat it. Therefore, it was life and a future life. And so in the Babylonian captivity, 500 years before Jesus, they were already making boiled eggs part of the Passover. Now, I really want to stress this because there are people who I I call drama llamas. They have to find drama and fear and fault and problems. And they love to look at Easter and they'll say, you know, Easter was named after a, a pagan goddess. No, it wasn't. I know it sounds like it was, but in etymology sounds like is not the same as is. The root of the word comes from the celebration of the Jews, not from a goddess. And they'll say, oh, and now that the whole bunny and, and, and egg thing, that's, that's pagan. Well, you know, I don't know about the bunny thing, frankly. I have no idea what the bunny thing means, except the bunnies are pretty good at life. So I'll, I'll, gi- I'll give you that. Um, I I cannot trace the bunnies with any enthusiasm where they go and, and, and certitude. So, but the eggs were part of the Jewish celebration for nearly 600 years, 500 and change, before Jesus was born. So the eggs are there. Everyone has a pillow on their chair to relax. That's very important. They pick pillows and put there. And the reason is, they're now free. They're not slaves they're allowed comfort. They're not in bondage. They can live in peace. They can take their time to eat and drink. A pillow was a Semitic way of saying stay, linger. So a pillow is placed in each chair. and Then the cup of wine. The cup of wine will be refi- refilled four times. So many comments could be made here. Exodus chapter 6, it's revealed four times for the four I will statements here. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And they cut those I will statements into four and there's one that they group two into one and they, it, they will read that and then drink the wine. That's a very important part of their, their process. Then there is a cloth. This is my favorite part. There's a cloth with three sections in it. Each one has matzo, or unleavened bread, put into it. Sometime during the meal, the head of the household opens the cloth, takes out the middle bread, breaks it in half. He puts one half back with the others, and then puts one half off to the side in a napkin. And that is referred to by a Hebrew name, which means, that which comes after. You would call it dessert, I guess. Uh, in in Breton, we don't call dessert, dessert. We call it afters. Have you had your afters? Well, that's over here. Now, he has to hide this. It's traditional. Hide it from the children. The children are to hide their eyes as he hides it in an obvious place. I'll explain why later. They're children. The youngest person present is then to ask The four questions. The four questions have been part of every Passover for the last 3,500 years. Those of you that saw the the passion of the Christ years ago may have missed it. But when Jesus was being, he'd already been beaten, and now he was being taken through the streets, and his mother and Mary Magdalene and some others were hidden in a house, uh, not hidden, huddled in a house, frightened, young Mary Magdalene looks over at Jesus' mother and says the words of the first question. Why is this night different from all other nights? At that moment, she realized who the Lamb was. At that moment, she realized what it all had meant. It had all come to Jesus. This is now expanded somewhat. The first question, why is this night different from every other night? The Jewish people will refer to also, why are we allowed to recline as we eat? And the response is again, we are not slaves, we are free, we can relax. But then the next question, why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? And they were told the story of when they were in the first Passover, they were told, don't make it with leaven. Why? Because yeast takes time to rise. You don't have time. That was the whole point. Don't take time. Be ready to move. Christians, this is one of the reasons why we cannot get wrapped around the consumerist culture of our time. We must be ready to do without. We must be ready to move. We must be ready to sacrifice, to give, to walk away wherever God sends us. And that is so hard for us in a world that measures success by possessions, status, and place in the community. But God told them, don't make the bread with yeast. That will take too long. You're going to need to move. Third question, why on this night do we eat the bitter herbs? Well, it's to remind them of slavery. Well, they do two things now with those. They get the bread and they dip it into the salt water. And that's to remind them of the tears of slavery. And then they take the, the, or they'll dip the vegetables rather, into the salt water. Then they'll dip them into this paste of several herbs. And they call it bitter herbs, but it actually gives it a bit of flavor. And they'll say, only rich people, Get to sit and dip their food. Only wealthy people, free people, get to luxuriate in their food. If you're in West Africa, you're a little boy and you come home, you don't say, What are we going to have for dinner tonight? You're going to have what you always have because that's the only thing you've got. And it's not what you want, it's what is. And with God here, now He's saying, You're free. Jesus saying, let them eat. Let them eat. And then, dipping the vegetable in the salt water. So why is this night different than any ever? Uh, I'm sorry, every other night? Why on this night do we eat only unleavened bread? Why on this night do we eat the bitter herbs? Why do we dip the vegetable in salt water? All of the, that is asked normally by the youngest child. If the youngest child is old enough to be able to ask the questions. They get it to that point. This is very much an important ceremony of continuing and passing on. Uh, when my son was in the Marine Corps, every Marine Corps birthday, they would, if they weren't on active duty and on a line somewhere, they would get dressed in a dress blues. And if, ever, if you're a Marine, you know about this. They cut the cake with the sword. And as the sword is cut, who cuts the cake? Well, the, uh, the oldest person cuts the cake, the, the highest ranking cuts the cake and hands the first slice to the newest Marine. And I've been to a couple of those. And the newest Marine has generally just gotten there from Paris Island or uh, often uh, Coronado or, or, or wherever that is out in, in California. And he is scared to death because here's walking over to him a general or a colonel, got all kinds of braid and a hand in him. And he has learned, he has been saluting trees. He is, he knows, he is, he is the bottom of the bottom of the bottom. And you'll just see them doing this. But he's doing his best to, to, to keep the tradition. Again, the oldest to the youngest. I thought of Passover when I saw that. The continuing. When I see here parents handing the bread and the cup to their children and talking to them about Jesus... I think of the Passover. Well then, no more tears. Good news is in the meal. We're on this side of the Red Sea. We've crossed the Jordan safely. We're going to cross the next river, death, safely as well. The angel of death cannot touch us because the blood is on us. The blood of the Lamb is on the baptized. That's why the churches of Christ have always emphasized full immersion for adults as a part of their spiritual journey because God did. He requires us to have the blood of Christ on us. And where do we contact that? In Scripture, in baptism. We are buried with Him and raised with Him. Then the children are loose to search for the hidden bread. This is always fun because the older children get frustrated with the youngest kid who's supposed to find it, and there it is. They'll help them. The youngest child finds it and brings it back to the head of the table who then unwraps it, then breaks it, and then hands it out to everyone a piece at a time. And that is what Jesus would have been doing when he said, take and eat. This is my body which has been given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. John would have been the one to bring him the bread as the youngest present. They would not have expected Jesus to say something like this. This is the signal. It has changed. We are about to celebrate our Passover meal. If you're a visitor, understand that that's church language for communion sometimes called Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Before we do, I'd like to read a psalm, Psalm 114, which is traditionally read at Passover. When Israel came out of Egypt, Jacob from a people of foreign tongue, Judah became God's sanctuary, or it's where he lived, Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled The Jordan turned back, the mountains leaped like rams, the hills like lambs. Why was it, see, that you fled? Why, Jordan, did you turn back? Why, mountains, did you leap like rams, you hills like lambs? Tremble, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. And then they take the cup. And as we take the cup that represents deliverance, redemption, and adoption, Jesus would have changed the words. He would have said, take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. It was at Passover that he set up this meal for us. Visitors, we, once or twice a month, take this at tables. There are tables up front, tables in the back of this room, and a table up at the top in the balcony. In a moment, we're going to have a prayer. And at the end of that prayer, you'll be invited to go to a table. You might wonder, well, I'm not a member here. If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and you want to honor him as the Passover Lamb of God who came to save us from our sins and save us from death, you are welcome at this table. Those of you that have any mobility issues, we will serve you. Just make eye contact with anyone. One lady said it was offered to her six times. I said, you can take it six times. Uh, but but she, was, she was tickled to death. She just thought that was wonderful. As we take this, let us remember we are doing something 3,500 years old. No older religious ceremony exists on the planet given to us by God and then changed and fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Would you stand please as I read Psalm 116, 1 through 9. I love the Lord, for He heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because He turned His ear to me, I will call on Him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. See the crosses before you, covered in wire, ugly, symbols of death, pain, loss, humiliation. Next week, we will bring flowers. As you take then, we will celebrate and weave flowers into this. These symbols of death, two here and one up top, there it is, will be turned into living symbols of life and beauty. Next week is a celebration. Normally, when you take communion... Up at the tables, you talk and you engage. I'm going to ask you to do so more quietly this time, for we have not yet made it to Resurrection Day. We are in Palm Sunday in the days between. As we take, let us remember the body, let us remember the blood, let us pray. Our Father in heaven, bless this bread. May we remember the body of Christ. May we remember the Lamb of God, the Passover meal. As we take the cup, please bless it. May we remember the blood of Christ. May we remember what it felt like to be sheltered by the blood as the angel of death stalked the streets of Egypt. Father, thank you for your deliverance. Thank you for Resurrection Day. But as we wait for that day... Help us contemplate all that you have done for us. Thank you, Father. Thank you for Jesus. In the name of Jesus, the whole church says, amen. Amen. Come to the table.